Welcome back to the Fantasy Front Office Podcast, episode 24 for the week of January 8th, 2018. Yes, I said it right this time. Hot topics today are the ever-cold stove. Slowly stoking the fire, a proposed trade, Austin and L.A., and of course, mailbag some new improvement wishes. And now, entering your ears, your fantasy front office. Now, around the horn in the front office with me, I have Keith, Phil, and Todd. Kicking off this year, Phil, what is one thing you are looking forward to in this upcoming 2018 season? I'm excited to get back in in fantasy baseball, the family that we're going to have this year. uh, That's going to be really cool. Todd's going to get that set up. Uh, It's going to be really awesome. Todd, what are you excited for? Coming up soon, I'm excited for draft season. It's uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, Fantasy draft season, March, early February for us. Um, Nothing beats when the drafts come around. And Keith, what are you excited for? I think I'm excited for a potential like home run chase and see, you know, maybe Judge and Stanton compete for a home run record on the same team. Well, you did take mine. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my big one coming in this year is what is going to happen in the Bronx? Uh, There's there's talks of Stanton and judge being in the outfield together there's talk of judge playing center field so far um a lot is going to get worked out in spring training as to where all those position players fall and how they construct a lineup so big human being in center field yeah insane i'm excited to see it's kind of like the modern day uh mickey mantle roger maris 61 Right. All right. If this is your first time listening or to clarify things, I am Jeremy and our top story. We completely skipped over this one in our winter meetings wrap up. Uh, Phil, how are you feeling now that you have Marcel Ozuna in your outfield there in St. Louis? I'm still depressed. It feels like a low-hanging fruit thing. I know that it's not at all by any means, but just because there was only two years of him, um, I mean, they did really steal him from the, from the Marlins, so I appreciate that aspect of it, that we didn't really give up very much. Alcantara's a beast, but he's a couple of years away from actually producing like big numbers for us. Um, I still think that they're uh, probably two or three pieces away um, maybe one guy later that we'll talk about. Um, but I think they're the, I think they have a legitimate shot at competing for even a central title. If they, if they got, you know, a Hosmer or, or, you know, a relief pitcher, one of the closers that are out there, which there's a lot. And, uh, one of the starters that are out there that there's a lot of them too. So, um, maybe that's a stretch, but I think that they have a shot. And we'll be back after this break. get back into it building off of the ozuna deal hot stove really hasn't been hot at all 
besides Stanton and Ozuna. There have been a few minor deals here and there, a few salary dumps. Thank you, Dodgers and Braves. But uh, let's kick it off with Colorado because they've been overhauling that bullpen and I don't exactly know what value does Wade Davis still have pitching at Coors. Keith, do you have any insights there? Well, it's tough because it's hard to believe they're investing as much money as they are in relief pitchers. And it's definitely a strategy that they've been building for a a few years now and maybe one that will actually work. Um, I I think Wade Davis throws that curveball, and the curveball seems to be something that the Rockies are pushing as an organization to focus more on. I don't know if that's something analytical. They've, They've found out that based on their altitude, their pitchers perform better. But it definitely seems to be something that they're they're targeting as far as the players they're looking to acquire. Maybe it works out for them, but it's just tough to invest that much of your your team's payroll in you know a few players at the back end of your bullpen. And, and really, when I look at it, I don't see a super bullpen like we've seen you know some other teams have. So a lot of money on on somebody who I just don't have a whole lot of. Maybe he's the the tenth best closer in, in fantasy leagues maybe he's the the eighth best closer but he's not somebody who i'm super interested in drafting definitely not somebody to jump in in your draft on drafting phil the the main problem with wade davis to me is what you were just alluding to earlier is that um the, the kind of the volatility of the position itself i mean Cardinals went out and signed Brett Cecil last year. Everybody was, you know, happy because he had a couple of good years before that. And he kind of laid a goose egg for the first half of the year and didn't really do much. I know that's not really fantasy relevant, but at the same time, you know, relievers themselves, that position itself is, is just really volatile. So you can't really bank on year to year except for the, the uber elite Jansen, Chapman. Chapman even had a down year, um, down in quotes. Um, you know, but that, that's kind of something you got to look out for also. All right. Well, now let's dive into the Garrett Cole conspiracies out there. New York has been pursuing him hard. And now as of today, the Astros were also beginning a decent push to acquire him, which environment suits him best. Well, I think that um, Houston uh, fits him better just because you get to pitch in AL West, a little better ballparks. But a thing is, I think the Astros have better prospects that they're willing to trade than the Yankees do, even though the Yankees are the current favorite to get Land Garrett Cole. I don't know if it's just something where Garrett Cole needs a, needs a change of scenery or what, but last year was miserable compared to what he can put up. Um, his 2015 was amazing. If he goes down to Houston and, and dominates, or even to the Yankees and, and dominates, um, it'd be really awesome to see him put up you know, the numbers that they projected when, they, when the uh, Pirates drafted him. And it's crazy to think that both of those teams, you know, what were they, the AL, uh, ALCS teams, could add to their, their teams by getting somebody like Garrett Cole's a good track record coming off a few bad seasons, like you were saying, Phil, but both those rotations are already pretty secure 
you add one more guy in there, and man, that's two very, very good. It's about to get better. And the thing of Garrett Cole, he had second highest career for nine, had 33 starts last year. So the main issue was his fly ball rate was up, and he had a career high home run rate. So home which, runs really killed him. Which season. probably is almost a league wide thing. I mean, yeah. almost everybody's home run to fly ball rate was up last year. And, and home runs hurt him. So maybe that's not even a knock on Garrett Cole. It could just be an adjustment to what the norm has been for the last 18 months in baseball. But if he goes to the Yankee Stadium or uh, Houston, <laughs> I mean, both both of those stadiums are pretty hitter-friendly when Pittsburgh's actually either neutral most years, but some years of pitcher park. All right, now on to one of the, I guess, major bat signings is Cleveland. They lost their first baseman going to the Phillies in Santana, and now they've re- they've signed Yonder Alonso to fill that slot. Do you see this as a plus, a minus for him, or what's his fantasy outlook this year? I see it. Probably as a plus. I mean, I can't, he can't really build off of what he did last year. He had such a big success with his fly ball. He added a leg last year, which contributed to a lot of his power and really changed his swing. Um, I think that actually came from a conversation he had with Manny Machado. You know, talking hitting with with that uh, couldn't really hurt you too much. So um, I, I don't think he can really build on top of it, but he's going so late in drafts. Nobody's really buying into the changed Yonder Alonso. And a lot of that has to do with how poor his second half was, but I'm not typically somebody who, you know, buys into strong second halves. So I try not to discount, you know, guys that kind of fall out and have a poor second half. So I'm probably more in on Alonso than what I perceive everybody else to be. And I'm okay with that. Cause as a, a backup, you know, first baseman or a corner guy in a deep league to, you know, take a shot on Alonso. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with Alonzo, too. Um, one thing that is go- getting lost in this is he played for a terrible twin and, and really a great team in the last year um, and had 28 home runs. So you put, you know, even 25 home runs, maybe even 23 home runs um, in that in that lineup in Cleveland, and, and you're certainly getting more than 67 RBIs. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit bump on the average, too, um, towards his career norm. So, I don't know. He's got a... Uh, He's got some potential this year is what I'll say. Yeah, career high walk rate too last year. Um, he's changed his complete game around. And Oakland and Seattle, kind of what Phil said, there was a pitch, uh, pitcher-heavy ballpark. So hitting Cleveland middle lineup, a better lineup, I think will help him a lot. So a little bit of a plus for Yonder Alonso going to Cleveland. Definitely somebody to keep on your radar later in your draft, uh, especially with as deep as first base is. Somebody and, that- and just real Real quick, he's going 27th off the board right now at first base on, wow. on fan tracks. That's way too low. 27th. <laughs> Who do they have above him? Just a couple names. I'll, I'll give you, so he's on the 27th. I'll give you 20 through 27. So 20th off the board is Gurriel, Chris Davis, Hanley Ramirez, Logan Morrison, Jose Martinez, who I love, uh, Brennan Belt, Albert Pujols, Yonder Alonso. And after that, it's Oblivion, Oblivion, Hasn't played in five years and didn't play <laughs> last year. So yeah, it's he's basically the last relevant first baseman being drafted. Period. And Mark Reynolds. I mean, 
How is that fool holes getting drafted ahead of them? Name I, value. I mean, yeah. I mean, I get it, but really? I guess. It, it, and not only that, and I know we're running late here, but not only that, but Albert Pujols is going off the board at 305. Yonder Alonso, the next first baseman taking, is 40 picks later. So they're like, nope, 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 nope. Alonso, nah, okay. I mean, at that point, he's probably being auto-drafted based on his last performance, yeah. last year's performance. <laughs> I would still take Alonzo before Rafael Palmero. Okay, guys, that's all we need to know at this point. <laughs> Hey, you saw that batting practice. He was pulling the crap oh, out of those 54-mile-an-hour fastballs. That was ugly. 54, yeah, 54-mile-an-hour fastballs just yanking them. Pull, pull, pull. He was all over it. All right, so a little cleanup here as we wrap it up. Just say yay or nay to these names. Sabathia to New York. Nope. May. Nay. Matt Adams to Washington. God, I hate Matt Adams. <laughs> it gets playing time by some freakish injury or something play else. The outfield. If he gets regular at bats, I am all in on Matt Adams in Washington. I swear oh. if he plays the outfield, it will be it's glorious to watch. Not on your own team. <laughs> it's glorious to watch. It's like it's like Kyle Schwarber out there. It's bad. Uh, like, he's not even a good first baseman. I don't mean draft him and there. I don't mean like do anything with him. But I mean, if he gets regular at bats and he won't, I mean, he just not in that lineup, not with his defensive, you know, versatility. Yeah. But if he gets regular at bats, he's a way better hitter than people are giving him credit for. All right. After the break, we will be back with all sorts of mailbag questions here and a trade that fell through. Well, it is time to dive into the mailbag. This one comes in from J-Dub the Gamer. Is it too big of a reach to project Zach Godley as a number two on a fantasy roster? Phil, where do you stand on Zach Godley? Is this too high? We were talking about him right before the show started, and I was looking at his numbers, and he had a hell of a year last year. Do I project that going forward? I don't think so, but if I did, I think I would project him as a number two. As he sits, I think he has a couple of warts here and there, so I think you maybe make him a four. Um, and if he's your SP4, that's somebody that he's going to he's gonna. He's gonna potentially win you a league if he's your SP4. I think I think if you can get him as a three, that's somebody you can feel comfortable as. He definitely has number two upside. Uh, the big thing with Godley is he's starting to throw his curveball more and his sinker more, and he's had wild success. As a rookie, he only threw his curveball 11%. Uh, last season, he was at 35%. So he's kind of figured out what works best for him, and I think that he's going to maintain what he did last year, and he definitely does have that upside. Yeah, I agree with uh, agree with you guys. I think probably for me, it, he's an SP3. I'm probably going to rank him yeah. somewhere in the 30s. Um, any later than that, just based on how successful he was last year, it's not like he was lucky in a lot of what his 
performance was. I mean, his FIP backs up what his 3.37 ERA is. His FIP is 3.41. So, I mean, basically right in line with what it, it should be. Uh, not any risk as far as you know injury with him that we've seen so far. His innings should be fine. Um, I think he did fine going through the lineup a couple times. Yeah, I think I like him as an SP3, but I, I don't really want him as an SP2. Now, if that's a strategy thing where he's your second best pitcher and you just kind of, kind of want to ride it out and see how he does and you have another guy, you know, like McCullers or somebody else that's a SP3, SP2 type that you're going to pair him with, then that's fine. But I don't think I want to bank on him being an SP2 right now. All right, the next question comes in from Jared Kelly, seven. What's your take on what to do in upcoming drafts regarding the catcher's position? Uh, With such a thin talent pool to choose from, is it wise to snatch one of the top three guys or sacrifice that position to help elsewhere? Keith, we know you're down on the catcher's position overall. Where do you sit with this? It's it's a hot, honestly it's a hot mess after the first three guys four guys maybe it's just it's pretty much garbage so I don't want and and even those four guys I mean Gary Sanchez is a monster and, and maybe he hits thirty eight home runs drives in a hundred in in New York and and maybe New York is doing so well that they rest their catcher twice a week down the last two or three month stretch um, so I don't really want to invest in a catcher even one of his stature, who I think could be an offensive monster because they're just not going to get run out there the same amount that, you know, a shortstop does Correa and play 156 games next year. Sanchez may play 134. And so if I can get, you know, Correa in, you know, pick number 22 and get Sanchez pick number 22, I'm picking Correa every single time or anybody else in that, in that class too. Freeman or uh, Rizzo's fall into, you know, close to the almost the third round in, in some drafts. So I just don't want to invest in a catcher that high. Um, Posey's been really stable, but he's only offering you batting average and batting average, I guess. Yeah, he's pretty much um, gone the Joe yeah. Maurer route. Like, all of his power just vanished overnight. And the biggest thing is, in most of your leagues, guys are going to draft – Real Muto, they're going to draft Perez. They're going to try and bank on a, a turnaround from Lucroy or Evan Gaddis. Um, and they're going to draft those guys around pick 150, 160, to where really you can just wait and wait and wait and wait and take Austin Barnes or Mike Zanino or, you know, Travis Darno or somebody else who has upside and not waste that other pick. So for me, I'm going to wait unless it's like a two catcher league, which if you're playing in a two catcher league, stop. Get help. <laughs> Stop it. Help. Yeah, quit abusing yourself. Todd, Phil, you got any uh, catcher complaints? Pretty much all the same after the top three. And for their defenses and kickers in uh, fantasy football, I just wait to the end, grab them, and I kind of stream them the, throughout the, the season. The best of the bunch kind of thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll give my little backstory and I'll try to be brief um, for the catcher position. Uh, the last time that I drafted a catcher high in a draft was Mike Napoli when he actually was a catcher still. <laughs> oh, wow. And he had like 38 home runs, something give or take the year before. Uh, 
pull up his numbers and, and they're not great the year after he did that. Um, kind of burned me on the catcher position in general, and that was actually a keeper league also, so I kind of double burned myself. Um, vowed to never make the mistake again. I pick guys up off the waivers. I'll, you know, I, I float my my open position is a, is a catcher position in every league, and I just, I'll pick anything up that I have to, anything that seems remotely hot. Um, I do not invest in the catcher position whatsoever. And actually in our league last year that, that I won, I I played with Travis Darno the entire season. He was injured for a third of it, <laughs> I and I never did. even come out of yeah. the lineup because I was like, I don't care. I, well, it, it's not worth taking him out of the lineup because whoever I replace that, him with is still going to hit 200. That so, team that team is a little unfair. Right. That's that's not that's not really the the model for what, you, what you're building a league off of. <laughs> all right, my point my point is they, they're all pretty much garbage. So investing in them, I don't think is something that. I'm interested in doing. Yeah. And there's, so it shall be done. Right. And if you do end up going for it, you know there's people out there that are willing to buy that catcher off your hands. So you have a bargaining chip at this point. So whichever route you end up taking with the catcher's position, best of luck. But, uh, there's all sorts of ways you can go about it. One more thing real quick. I just... I wonder if more teams are going to start to do what Atlanta did where they split uh, their, their catchers up and didn't give them more than like 150 at bats. And both those guys did absolutely incredible last year. So they platooned their catchers, both good, you know, defensive catchers platooned them and they succeeded probably where the combination of those two guys was like a top five catcher. And, and if more teams start to do that because that offensive position is so bad and that it's focusing more around pitch framing, that's going to make this player pool for catcher just an absolute oblivion. And so Tinker or leagues are going to have to start to think about how they want to adapt to that. So if, if, if teams go that route and most catchers on average get 350 to 400 at bats, which I think we only had like three or four that got more hundred, more than 400 yeah. at bats, you're, you're going to have to adapt as a league. One thing that I may actually consider, maybe not this year, but next year, if it goes that path, I'm thinking about combining the, the DH position as some type of flex. So you still get a little bit more of the player pool in the DH, and you still get to play some of the top catchers. Excellent thoughts from a commissioner. And now we're going to discuss briefly a little aid rumor that came out uh, over the last day or so that Boston and the Dodgers discussed trading Yasiel Puig for Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, Boston ended up turning this deal down, but who would you rather in this? So I'm going to start this off by asking you guys, why does Boston hate Jackie Bradley Jr.? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Though. And and that's, that's kind of being facetious, but at the same time, that's being genuine because it seems like every, last year they tried to try to dump him and, He's a defensive genius, and, and he hit like 300-some last year. Not last year, the year before. Um, man, he had that huge head streak, too. I understand why they're trying to get rid of him. Yeah, I, think I, guess in this that, I guess that tells you who I pick. I don't know. I think in this trade, Boston says no, because if they trade Bradley, they don't really have a center fielder unless they want to put bets there. But So defensively, uh, Bradley's a lot better. Maybe in a vacuum, Puig, just because he has more power, 
can steal bases if he wants, but I think baseball-wise, Jackie Bradley Jr., that's the one I would pick. He's a better defender by a lot. All right, so, all right, so I'm tripping. He hit miserably towards the beginning of the year, and then he <laughs> dominated the second half of the year. Well, more than the second half of the year for most of the year and got his average up to 267, but I'm pretty sure he hit like 330 for like the last two-thirds of the season. Two years ago? Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, 16. Yeah. Yeah. 2017, he only batted 245. So here's your comparisons, okay? You had Puig, 263. Bradley, 245. Uh, Puig, 28 home runs. Bradley, 17. Uh, 74 RBI for Puig. 63 for Bradley. 15 stolen bases for Puig. 8 for Bradley. Uh, in a vacuum, they've got a, almost the same number of at-bats, but Puig was more productive. Granted, he's mm-hmm. hitting in a little better lineup in having... Uh, I mean, Puig would bat 6th or 7th in that lineup, and he's got a lot of people getting on base ahead of him, whereas Bradley's yeah. hitting at the beginning of a lineup. So I would say Puig but only in a redraft vacuum sort of situation. Keith, I don't think we heard your pick on this. Um, If I had to pick, I'd probably pick Puig because I think he is the better athlete and I think he has a higher ceiling um, in real baseball and in fantasy. But with that said, I also think he's a head case. Uh, he's dangerous in the clubhouse and I think Boston may have, I mean, Boston's had clubhouse problems in the past three or four years. I don't know what they were last year, but they've had clubhouse problems in the past and they may be hesitant to bring somebody over who probably needs kid gloves. Yeah. Him and Hanley in the same, uh, clubhouse would probably not be the best for your, uh, clubhouse morale guys they need home runs i mean the boston needs power like like crazy so i mean getting a, another somewhat power outfielder would be something that they could really benefit from i mean i, I still think they're eventually going to martinez it just makes too much sense but yeah i think they need they need offense you know like like the giants need offense bad <laughs> All right, well, we will be back after this break. And we are back. And let's dive into, uh, it's a new year, so let's go to some New Year's improvement wishes. Now, it's a little vague as to the topic, so I'm going to start it off. In the hitting department, my New Year's wish is that Marcelo Zuna would steal more bases. This would impact him fantasy-wise by going from one stolen base last year to go with his 38 home runs to hopefully around 10. 10 stolen bases with 
35 home runs, that'll that boosts his value on the draft boards going into 2019. Uh, I Phil, 100% support that message. Of course um, you do. <laughs> my my hitter uh, wish list or improvement wish would be uh, Manny Machado also getting some stolen bases and uh, take it one step farther. Let's get that shortstop eligibility too. Definitely. Todd, what's your uh, uh, hitter wish? Mine's a guy who burned me in almost every league last year, uh, Gregory Polanco. He's a guy, just consistency, stole 27 bases in 2015, 2016 at 22 homers, and last year it was just a real up and down. Had a really good June, but everything else was terrible. He's just a guy has such a nice swing. If he can put it together and, and just all aspects of his game, he could be a real dangerous 2020 threat next season. That's a little bit of post-hype sleeper. Keith, where do you sit? All right. So on the offensive side of things, I really want Andrelton Simmons to become a more patient hitter, not from swing percentage, but from just the ability to draw more walks. Um, he's a pretty patient hitter from picking and choosing which pitches he swings at, but he doesn't take walks. If the count gets deep and he's got uh, two balls on him and two strikes or three balls, he's he's typically swinging at that pitch and putting the ball in play. Um, and if you look at his zone profile, anything away and down, people just pound him. I don't know why it is. I think it's because he, he continues to swing at him. And it's not some crazy amount, but – you know, like everybody, down and away, he's not really putting a lot of power behind that. And he pulls the ball at about a 45 to 50% clip the last 18 months or so. And so he's not generating anything with that with that low and away pitch. So I want him to lay off that pitch like every single time this year to grow his, his on-base percentage by another 30 or 40 points um, and turn him into an actual real hitting threat for 2018. Nice. On the on the pitching side, I want Lance McCullers to develop a third pitch that he can rely on to help get him through the order maybe the third time. So his sinker that he throws and his curveball that he throws represents almost 85% of his repertoire that he relies on. And the, the second time through the lineup, or the first time through the lineup, that sinker has a batting average against of about 220. So nobody's really doing much off that sinker. The curveball is a batting average against of 145, which is insane. Um, the second two, time through the lineup, that sinker goes up to a batting average over 300. So it's 319. Ouch. Still, that curveball, nobody's messing with it. Batting average of 157. So not a big adjustment on the curveball. It's still just almost an unhittable pitch. But they start to see and rely on that sinker being thrown more often. The third time through the lineup, Guys are hitting 429 off that sinker. Oh, it's 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 just getting shelled. So he needs another pitch that he can rely on and save that sinker for the third time through, or to kind of mix and match a little bit better the second and third time through the lineup if he's going to get as many quality starts um, to help you in your leagues. What's funniest is when when we were talking about this beforehand, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I. I I, I wish that he would have a second pitch that would be decent because to me that sinker, it, I mean, it's, it's decent at the beginning because they're, they're not, they don't know what's happening. They don't know if they're going to get the curveball early in the count. Cause he, he does do stuff like that. Um, and, and if he, if he could just refine that sinker itself, I think that itself would, you know, project or propel him in and 
because like you said, that curveball, even if they know it's coming, it's almost unhittable. So if he could get his sinker to where he could, you know, spot it where he wants to consistently, man, he'd be a nasty pitcher. Yeah, and he really relied on that curveball so much down the stretch. So if you look at uh, in May, he was throwing it 42% of the time and then 44% of the time the next month and then 51% of the time. And then all the way up in, in the playoffs, he was throwing it 62% of the time. Jeez. And so as he's doing that, his sinker stayed steady. He throws it about 30% of the time, 32% of the time. But his other pitches, his changeup just dropped off. I mean, he was throwing it 15% of the time early in the season. And towards the end of the season, he was throwing it 2% of the time. So he became a two-pitch pitcher in the last three months of the season, which, I mean, if you do that, guys are just going to sit on your sinker. So he either needs to, you know— Fiddle with his changeup, uh, maybe try and throw a, a different pitch to kind of equalize people, especially, you know, deeper into the game. Todd, where are you sitting with a pitching wish list? For me, um, I, I have Noah Syndergaard. I would love to see him throw another uh, 31 start season like he did in 2016. Uh, a guy who had a 10.7K for nine and honestly just one of the more fun guys to watch pitch, you know, in MLB extra innings. So for me, I hope to see a full, healthy season again from Noah Syndergaard in 2018. I just hope the flow is still as healthy as before. <laughs> the Thor flow. Them, them beautiful locks, man. Uh, so, sorry, I kind of stole you to even team me up. Um, so my guy is going to be Alec Reyes. I, I'm... I'm honestly just hoping that he can even be healthy for most of the season. Um, if, if he can have, God, 18 starts, 15 starts... I think the Cardinals will be in great shape. So that's my that's my hope for a, uh, a, a pitcher. And my pitcher is kind of controversial. It's Trevor Bauer. We all know he's got some ugly stats, but he also has some really nice stats that help out in fantasy. The Ks, the Ks per nine. But his issue tends to be lots of hard contact. If he can use his repertoire of 9, 10 pitches or whatever he has or claims to have to pitch to soft contact, dropping his 39% hard hit ball rate would do numbers. It would do marvels for his overall pitching stats reduces number of home runs runs given up and just bring him back to a potential ace on some fantasy teams out there anybody else seeing anything with trevor bauer Keith i wonder trevor if bauer. i wonder <laughs> if you know what and uh, the hard hit stuff especially from the pitching side and actually i'm starting to not rely on it as much for, from the hitting side because I just don't feel like it's as predictive as some of the other things. So like the hard hit data on on starting pitchers or relievers, like I don't know, that doesn't mean as much to me. So I guess in that case, maybe I would buy a little bit more into Trevor Bauer. Um, but the way that teams are trending right now is similar to what Trevor Bauer does. He just avoids contact and tries to go four or five strong innings. I mean, you're, you're not going to get seven innings out of Trevor Bauer because he nibbles too much. And so that's kind of what you're saying is you want him to, you know, do what Robbie Ray did last year is to to pitch to more contact, trust your stuff, 
and try and be more efficient on the mound. That's what what Ray did. Oh, yeah. and really benefit. Um, I, I just don't know if he's going to do. I think he might be able to succeed in that role, but I don't know if he's going to do it. True. I mean, it's just the thing about Ray is he has so many pitches. So every pitch he's trying to get um, you to swing and miss. With Robbie Ray and something that I heard uh, Butcher, the Pirates, or not, the Diamondbacks pitcher coach, say is that their goal is the first pitch you want Robbie Ray to try to get a ground ball. So first pitch, fastball, slider, whatever he's throwing, their goal the very first pitch is to get a ground ball and then go from there and strike out the batter. So the adjustment of is Trevor Bauer willing to make that change like Robbie Ray did, uh, we'll see next year. But and, and just to piggyback on the hard, hard hit, like rates for pitchers and why I don't really trust them. Um, so the largest hard hit rate in, in baseball last year among qualified starters was Robbie Ray at 40.4%. I think he had a pretty good season. <laughs> and number two is Chris Archer, uh, Rick Porcello. I mean, whatever. Um, Chris Archer may have even been on – that kind of shows that he was even maybe a, a little unlucky because he could have had a much better season than what he did have. Uh, I I guess I just I guess what I'm saying is I just don't trust this data. Like if you sort by the soft contact, I'm on Fangraphs right now. Uh, soft contact number one in the league was Corey Kluber. All right, that makes sense. Number two is R.A. Dickey. Well, granted, it's the knuckleball, so they're not getting a lot of hard contact a lot of the time. Number thirteen is Julio Tehran. Fourteen yeah. is Lance Lance Lynn. Number five is Big Irv. So I, I guess I, I agree with what you're saying there, and I, I wholeheartedly I think that's what Trevor Bauer needs to do if he's going to get to more than four, you know, four, maybe even six innings. Is he needs to pitch a soft contact? Um, but I think he just like you're saying, he goes out there and just tries to make everybody miss on every single pitch, and it's tough to invest in a guy that has such a bad pitch efficiency because he throws so many pitches and nibbles so much. Well, and to that point, he's never posted a whip under 1.3. Yeah, that'd be tough. Tough. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a Trevor big Bauer. ask, but uh, it takes a mental decision to go with the new game plan. And he's kind of a head case, so I don't know if it would work. But that's my pitching wish. Because if so, he would be one I'd be reaching out for. He's just got to get with it. Yeah, get with it. <laughs> All right, is there a what happens? Is there a real world baseball kind of team wish you're thinking of? Say for Phil's Cardinals or for our Diamondbacks, something out there you wish they would make a move on. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, you know if they signed one more free agent bat and traded or signed for um, another hitter or another uh, starter and a reliever. I think, I think they could honestly compete for the, uh, the NL central. Todd, Keith, either of you have one for me um, for my dime bags. I just want them to add one more piece. Um, they're still sort of in on JD Martinez. Nobody really knows what's going on there. Uh, Machado doesn't look like he'll be traded, but they're been talking, but honestly, JT Romuto or even Jonathan Lucroy on a bounce back one year deal, uh, their catch positions, wasteland, just three good defensive catchers. They're going to hit like 190. 
So if they could add a catcher, preferably Ramuto, but Luke Roy will settle for it. That would be massive for the Diamondbacks. Um, I'm going to claim the White Sox as my team for this uh, this segment, and I'm going to say that I want them to continue to develop some of their younger prospects and to see some of those guys in the major leagues this year to see what maybe they're capable of. That farm system is so thick and so rich, full of talent, that it's about ready to start kind of sprinkling in some guys to see if they're a 2019 team where they start to make a run for the playoffs or if it's going to be 2020 before they're viable. It would be nice to see uh, some of their prospects, uh, you know, do something in the major leagues like Yon Mancata. I think oh. I, I was I was down on Moncada last year, but I'm I'm on the Moncada bandwagon. I think. I don't know. He's a guy that I kind of toss up in the air, and and I don't know where I'm going to land yet. Um, the tools of Byron Buxton, but I don't think that he is as good as Byron Buxton could be. Would he be a good guy to, to maybe try to go after and stash in a dynasty league where he may still be a year or two away? Yeah, I think this. I think right now would be a good time to get him if you did want him. Yeah, because in a redraft league, I pretty much have no interest in him. But in a dynasty league, he'd be a good guy to maybe go after by low. Definitely. And having mentioned J.D. Martinez a few times, we're... This is kind of the baseball world right now. We're going to talk some real world ba- baseball here because my wish is uh, that Scott Boris would quit meddling in baseball <laughs> because agreed. Granted, he's an agent, but when what is it like seventy five percent of the free agents this year are his? Nobody is getting them. Nobody is signing them. The the hot stove is cold. Teams are just kind of waiting. Most teams are waiting on next year, payroll-wise. Like, the Dodgers aren't in on anybody this year because they just made moves to clear money for Harper or Machado or somebody big next year. But this year, it's kind of just like J.D. Martinez. The only legitimate offer out there to him is from Boston. And it's like, well, we don't want to offer seven years, but we'll offer five. And it's it's Boris is acting almost as if nobody is offering deals right now. So there's now rumors that JD may even be willing to accept a one year offer in order to sign with somebody and push out the free agent thing until next year, which sounds counterproductive because if teams have money this year and don't use it, they'll probably use it next year gunning for the big guys. So uh, I just hope teams can get over this Boris thing quickly because there's an avalanche of signings about to happen. I think I think specifically the the JD Martinez. He, I think it's going to Red Sox, but I think the problem is is that I think that they've been snake bitten, for lack of a better term, um, in recent years with the bad contracts that they've gotten out. Now they're they're a little concerned with, you know, some of the payroll flexibility that they normally have, but 
you know, they're still paying uh, Pablo Sandoval a lot of money, and he, <laughs> yeah. he's not great. You know, he didn't he didn't even play for them last year. So um, it's it's the bad contracts have have intensified over the years, and now they're having to shift them around as if it's basketball. I mean, it, it was weird watching the Matt Kemp trade, but it makes sense to do it. You know, so I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting times to see kind of this stuff play out. Yeah, and that's one thing that right now the hot stove has been terrible. But I have a feeling there's going to be just a couple-day period where all these guys are going to sign. And I think we're going to have a really exciting avalanche of just signings. And just going to be a lot to talk about, and that'll be exciting. Yeah, I heard a rumor that all the teams are about to get a major one-time payout from the MLB from their profits. So we may yeah. be seeing a lot of these signings happen really quickly. And something I also wonder is, do, does the arbitration, so there's a lot of teams that have a ton of players going through arbitration. I think the Diamondbacks have like 12. Yeah. I wonder if getting those deals done and figured out and like knowing exactly how much you have to pay players, I wonder if that's going to open up a lot of moves too. And that's a bold strategy by the Diamondbacks to uh, allow 12 players to go in front of a panel to be blasted three weeks before they report to spring training to tell them how bad they are as a collective group. I mean, it's it's a bold strategy. We're not really sure how it'll play out, but oh, wait, sending 12 on. players to arbitration uh, could be... I would say that's 11 because the Diamondbacks just agreed to a one-year deal with Randall Delgado. Oh, God, Avoiding no. arbitration. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I just looked at... Uh... My Twitter feed. If you follow is, me, you know I hate Randall Delgado. Man. Is it seven tweets of people like, "Hey, did you see this? Randall Delgado's back." Isn't Delgado injured? I think he was. Yeah. yeah, he has a forearm flexor, so hope. All right. Well, that will do it for this week, guys. Where can the people find you, Keith? So check out fantasy underscore Keith. Uh, I'm writing a ton right now. Uh, probably three or four times a week here coming up. So if you guys want to see some some early articles on some hitters or even some rankings and stuff like that, uh, I'll be posting pretty frequently. Uh, we are working on having all of Keith's articles funneled into uh, fanfrontofficepodcast.com. So in the meantime, you can find some of his work on our website. The rest of it, make sure to follow his Twitter in the meantime. Phil? I am Phil, and I am at the Baseball Jedi. Todd. You can follow me at Goldie Happens. Be sure to follow the podcast at Fan Front Office. Follow myself at Front Office Jer. And until next week, good luck in your draft preparations. <laughs>